Hello there. Hi. It's episode 346 of the Keto Diet Podcast. My name is Leanne Vogel. I'm the host of the show. I'm also the best-selling author of The Keto Diet, The Keto Diet Cookbook, and Keto for Women. You can find my work and all the things over at healthfulpursuit.com. I'm so glad that you're hanging out with us today. I'm chatting with Kristen Kirkpatrick all about sugar addiction, changing your behavior, how, how it relates to the ketogenic diet, how it helps, what are some of the drawbacks and what you need to look out for while you're on the ketogenic diet as it relates to sugar addiction, how to know what those signals are that you have to listen to. It's a really good episode. I thought it would be such perfectly timed in December as we're all surrounded by sugar and trying to figure out what we do or do not eat and how to just navigate friends and family and all the things that are happening right now. So before we get to today's episode and our interview with Kristen, I just want to thank our two sponsors of today's show. The first is Element Electrolytes. They're so good. They're tasty. I have some in this cup right here. I'm really hardcore and I mix it in in just a little bit of water. Most people do bottles like this. It's really potent stuff. It's super salty, really good. You can get the details down below on how to save a bunch of money for that. And then last but certainly not least, Paleo Valley. They make bars, they make meat sticks that are fermented. Oh, they're just delicious. So I'm gonna include their details down below. Okay, let's get to today's interview. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. Hi, Kristen. How are you today? Good, Leanne. How are you? It's such an honor to to be on your show. Oh my goodness. I'm just, I'm doing well. I'm so excited to chat about all the things with you. And I just really love my job. How great is this? We get to just chat like virtual coffee sessions. That's a great, that's a a great thing is to love your job, right? It makes life easier. Doesn't it? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Uh, Too many years of not loving my job behind my belt. So I did your official bio and all the official things, but in a couple of words, can you tell us who you are, what you do, what lights you up, why you're here? Yeah. All the things. All right. So I'm a registered dietitian. I've been a dietitian for almost 20 years. Most of my career, about 15 years of it was spent at the Cleveland Clinic in integrative medicine. That really is kind of, I guess I could start there. That's, that's part of the things that, that light me up is looking at a different modality of how we approach our health right? The, the older modalities haven't worked. So I really like that. I have that perspective and the patients there. In addition to that, I live in Denver. I love heading to the mountains and hiking. I have three dogs, hopefully none of which you'll hear during this show. Got a great husband. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? I think that just loving your job, loving what you do makes you better at what you do. And that that's really what lights me up. Yeah, it's so true. And what do you do on a daily basis? Are you meeting with clients? Are you doing, you know, behind the scenes stuff? Like take us through your day. Yeah. My days are crazy because they're all over the place. So I do a lot of media. So I'm one of the media spokespersons for our NBC affiliate here. I write, I'm working on a second book and I also write for the Today Show. And then in addition to that, I do work with Biosense, trying to educate the public on why the device is so useful for really kind of looking at your metabolic flexibility and things like that. 
do see some patients virtually. I try to play with my kids when I can. I mean, I try try to fit it all in. And I, I, I have to say, I feel like as women, we're always more challenged than, than any other, right? Because we have so much on our shoulders. Yeah. My, no, no day is the same. And I kind of like that. Let's get into a little bit about what Biosense is for those people that may not know, because you just said a thing. Somebody's like, what's a Biosense? And then I have a follow-up question to that, but I'll let okay. you explain what Biosense is first. Okay. Okay. So Biosense is a breath analysis device that we can use to check our breath acetone or our ACEs to determine whether or not we are in ketosis number one, and then how far into ketosis we are. So if you look at some of the measurements techniques for looking at ketones, of course, we have urine, we have blood, and then we have breath. Breath, I think is really important because it's incredibly accurate and it's easy. Blood is also accurate, but a lot of my patients just don't want to, you know, they wouldn't want to take blood multiple times a day. And I think that's a real key factor is that for a lot of my patients, it's really interesting. They will come to me and they'll be like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not in ketosis. Like, okay, how do you know? Well, you know, I checked my blood this morning and now it's six o'clock at night. So no, you have to check multiple times a day to really get that real perspective and real story of what your ketones levels are in relation to everything else you're doing. So as you know, Leanne, there's so many things that can throw off ketosis, right? So many things. And so I think that's really important. And so Biosense provides that opportunity in a really convenient, easy to measure device. And then it's got an app that kind of tracks it all for you. So that's, that's kind of the rundown on it. A while back, we received a question on the podcast about keto bars and how easy it is to eat two, three, or four bars in one sitting. Now, I've thought a lot about this like for quite a while, and I too struggled with it to the point where I couldn't have keto bars in the house because I would eat far too many in place of preparing like a proper balanced keto meal. There are some days where a take along with you bar is convenient and at times absolutely necessary. So I started looking for an alternative, something more balanced and a bar that would deliver nutrients, not just a balance of macros where my body would be satiated by one and not in search of more and more and more. Like I think one time I had six keto bars in one sitting and I didn't feel so good after. And then I found that very bar. So here are the ingredients in the new bar that I'm now eating only one of at at each sitting. Organic cashew butter, organic tapioca fiber syrup, 100% grass-fed bone broth protein, organic dried apples, organic dates, organic pumpkin seeds, organic superfood blend, which includes organic kale, organic broccoli, organic spinach, organic acerola, organic wild blueberry, organic spirulina, organic ginger, organic turmeric, organic sunflower lecithin, organic cinnamon, organic flavors, Himalayan pink sea salt, organic rosemary extract, and monk fruit extract. Now this is made with certified organic, if you didn't catch that, organic, (laughs) antioxidant-rich superfoods, cold-pressed, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, non-GMO, contains healthy proteins, fats, and vital nutrients, no added sugars, artificial sweeteners, or sugar alcohols. It's very low in natural sugars at four grams or less, depending on the flavor, and it's whole food-based. Now, this bar is from Paleo Valley. They call it the superfood bar, and I'm happy to report I eat one, and I'm satiated, 
and I move on. No more bar binges. Now this is huge, 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 huge for me. Head on over to paleovalley.com, load up your cart with superfood bars and whatever else you find that tickles your fancy, enter the code KETO at checkout and receive 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com and use the code KETO for 15% off your first order. Brilliant. And what's the difference between this and testing your glucose? Are they the same? I'm sure people are wondering like, how is this different? Should I track both? Does that work? Right. Yeah. And I have a lot of patients that do track both. So that's looking at the differences between continuous glucose monitors and then looking at kind of that breath acetone. They're two totally different markers. They're both important markers, but I put them in two different buckets right? Your, your glucose levels are obviously going to be looking at, all right, I just had food and what is happening in terms of the stores that I have from glycogen, let's say, am I drawing off of glycogen? Do I see my glucose levels go up? Am I in insulin resistance? That's another thing to look at if you're checking glucose levels, but really they're two totally different numbers. In some ways, I would say a lot of people might think that there's still both of them good assessments of being in a fat burning zone. My argument is that probably the ketone levels are going to be a better assessment because your ketone levels don't go up as most of your listeners already know unless your glycogen stores are down, right? And the lower the glycogen stores are, the higher and the more deeper in ketosis you're going to go into. And so you can have, let's call it an 85 glucose. You know, you test your blood, maybe check your glucose and you're like 85. That tells you nothing about whether or not you're in ketosis or not, right? Exactly. So right. you right. really it's don't know. You, it's just giving you a snapshot. Right. So a lot of times what I say is that a lot of testing techniques are really just snapshots in time. Those are really useful and they're really effective because it it can let you look at, okay, here's everything that happened today. And here's where my numbers were, what threw it off. And you can look at both glucose and ketones. Again, a lot of my patients do both. They're just really interested and for no other reason than they just like to see the data. Yeah. And I think what I'm a data nerd too, like I'll run a bunch of labs on myself just to see the correlation between everything and how that influences things. And I think it just helps us understand our bodies more. So when so-and-so says, Hey, you should try this diet with me. You're like, no, I know that's not going to work for me because of X, Y, Z reasons. And it really empowers us to make better decisions for ourselves and understand our body. Would you agree? I totally agree with that. And you know, it's interesting you say that Leanne, because Probably when I look at all of my patients that I have, there's one question that comes in almost at every single solitary consult. And that is, Hey, tell me what the best diet is. Like, what's the best diet? And no one likes my answer because it's totally not sexy, but the best diet is the one that is nutrient dense, that fits within your environment and that is sustainable. So oftentimes what I'll say, you can look at a lot of different factors. You can look at genetics, you can look at nutrigenomics and that whole field and say, okay, you know what? Keto is not going to work for me from a genetic standpoint. It's just not going to work. Or from an environmental standpoint, you know what? I absolutely love Oreos and my teenage sons won't keep it out of the house. That's not going to work for keto either because if you are prone to get that Oreo, guess what? You're going to do it. Food is powerful, right? And then like, what can you sustain? Are you happy? So I had a patient yesterday and this patient was telling me all the things she's doing and she's still kind of frustrated, but she's eliminating all these things. And she's like, okay, sorry, I just rambled down. What's your number one question? And I said, let's start with this. 
Are you happy right now? Before we get into diet, are you happy with all these things you're doing to reach these goals? And she's like, I'm miserable. Then this is not the right diet, right? So I think we have to look at all of those perspectives because all of them lead to greater sustainability. It's so, so true. When you're fighting against everything, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a fight. And those three components are so important. And yes, there are going to be challenges as you adapt new things and habits are being formed. And sometimes it's like, how am I going to make breakfast, lunch and dinner for myself plus my whole family? And how am I going to coordinate this? So there are some, you know, issues and roadblocks that you have to overcome. But I think overall, yeah, if you're fighting against it and you're miserable, then why? Like, there are other alternatives and you can't fight against your genes. Like if you're not supposed yeah. to eat saturated fat, you can't exactly. eat saturated fat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I do think the nutrigenomics portion of it is, is really important. I mean, I've seen hundreds of nutrigenomics patients. I have a certification in it. It is the missing link that I do think the world will come to but the world is not ready for it yet. We all talk about personalized nutrition and personalized health and looking at your genes and gene variants and epigenetics is the true definition of personalized health, but we're not ready for prime time on that one yet. I think we will be, but we're not there yet. It's so true. I'm not entirely sure that I'm ready for that yet. In fact, a couple of months ago, I had a client come to me and she could not lose weight and she was on a ketogenic diet and she had just had her DNA ran and we went through the report she cannot be on a ketogenic diet. I'd never put somebody on a relatively high carbohydrate diet because like I'm the keto queen. I do keto. And it was like against everything that I felt I could do. But then she started losing weight and she's, her energy started increasing and all these things. And so it really reminded me how important the personal touch is on nutrition. And that, that might not be is your fat percentage 60% or 75%? Maybe that is your fat percentage 10 or 15%. Like it can be that drastic of a change right. is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we also have to become more comfortable with what will occur when we age as well. I think that's a really critical component for women. Our fat distribution does change and our body at 45 may not look like our body was at 20. And so we just, we have to look at all of those things and and not look at, okay, weight loss diet. And we look at it in this vacuum and we can't look at it in that vacuum anymore. We have to look at, here's the five components that are really going to impact that, right? Um, I was, I was giving a presentation at a conference recently, and I was referencing a JAMA study that said that obesity and unhealthy eating was contagious. And it was really interesting looking at this study that like, never would I say, okay, let's ditch all your friends that, you know, don't have a great weight. That's not the point of it. But the point is that your environment plays such an an integral role in your ability to have sustainable and successful behavior change that it's really difficult to take that environment aspect out of it. Really difficult. I I often say to like, women are more likely to do this than men. I just seen this with my patient base that they'll be very supportive of someone who wants to lose weight. And then they could also be the one at a restaurant that says like, oh, you're not going to die if you have one piece of cheesecake, right? So it's just kind of like, well, what are are the messages that we are taking and are we internalizing them to actually alter that behavior change? Like we don't think we are, but studies would show otherwise. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, you are who you hang around with. And I notice, you know, as our 
group of friends has changed over the years. And let's face it, America is very different than Canada when it comes to food. (laughs) And so many more of my friends in Canada were more health conscious. And we didn't have a lot of the access to food that in the U.S. is prevalent. And even in the cruising community, I mean, you think Americans eat bad and have all this temptation, like people that live on boats basically live on rum and rice. I'm not even kidding. And canned carrots, like that is their diet. Yeah. And, you know, you start to surround yourself with that. It's really challenging to maintain, like, why am I doing this? What's important to me? What eating style do I know is best? I know when we go to the Caribbean for a while, I come back and I need to do yet another overhaul on, oops, that slid in, oop, that slid in. And I'm doing that. Oh my gosh. How did that even happen? Like it just starts to add on without even thinking, unless you're being very conscious of it. Right. And you know why Leanne, but despite the fact that, you know, as much as you know, guess what happens? Life, life happens. So I think that's like something that sometimes we don't account for. We don't account for the fact that life is going to happen And how do we adjust to it? Number one. And number two, if I do slip up, don't kill yourself because of it. Don't say, oh my gosh, I slipped up. And you know, the whole day's ruined, right? I see that all the time. I see that all the time. So it's just like, Hey, we're going to have slip ups. We're going to have things that happen. Life's going to get in the way. Let's move forward with it. What do you think is happening? Or yeah, I'm going to ask this question. You might not know, but I'm just curious. What do you think is happening when people say, ah, screw it. I did that one thing. I'm just going to let it go for the day. And maybe it's like a Wednesday and they're like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to do it until Monday. I'll start again Monday. Like what's happening there and how do people get out of that funk? Yeah. I think the best way to start describing that is to talk about how they got into it. And when I, when you think about food and you think about our relationship with food, and you think of the psychology and sociology of food, it truly does begin in childhood. So one of the things I tell my patients all the time is that when you fell off your bike and you were hurt and you were crying, your mother most likely did not run up to you and say, oh my gosh, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Let's go inside and we're going to have a big bowl of ice cream or let's go out to the ice cream store or whatever the case may be. No mom is like, we're going to go inside and have a beautiful salad. Right. So I think um, what we have is learned behavior that starts very early in life that food is there to soothe, food is there to reward, and food is there to really kind of give you a bounce of happiness when you're searching for that. We are taught that very, very early. So what happens is we then go through life. And it's very normal from that perspective, from the mental health perspective, to fall back into what we learned so early on in life. So that's number one. Number two is we are living in an environment in which overeating is not only encouraged, but it is prevalent. When you're on a boat, you don't see this, but if I were to go and drive to Target today, there's four fast food joints that I'm going to pass on my way. And I'm going to see billboards and things like that. So I think when you're inundated with it and you're living in that environment, I think that we have a tendency to fall off the wagon and really have a hard time to get back on. So those are the sociological perspectives of it. And then you can look at the addictive properties of it. God help you if you fall off the wagon with sugar, with sugar, as opposed to salt, right? We do know some in animal studies for the most part, but we do know that sugar does have addictive properties. So I've had plenty of sugar addicts that they've gone six, seven weeks, no sugar. And then they have that gummy bear 
And that's it. That's it. Right. So I think that we have to like recognize that and, and, and do better at figuring out how to move forward and maybe even giving ourselves the allowance to begin with. Right. Like I love donuts. I'll get a donut with my sons like on Sunday morning and I'll, I'll enjoy it. And I won't feel guilty after, and I won't exercise three hours after. Right. So it's just, it's not the one donut that ruins us. It's when we have the donut and we just can't get back to healthier habits. Yes. It's so true. When you said gummy bears, I was like, oh, those are my thing. <laughs> right now, I just, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll sit down maybe like once a week and I'll get one of those black forest, like gummy bear bags. They're like the little snack packs. And oh, I'll just I know sit what there. they are. <laughs> oh, they're so tasty. And I'll have just one bag and I'll take my time with it. And I'll question which flavor is my favorite. And then I'll right, just be right. done. But right. when I was addicted to sugar, there was no way that I could have done that at all. Like there's just no way. So what's the bridge between crazy mental over sugar? If I even look at it, I'm going to gain 10 pounds and eat everything that's not nailed down to the cabinet to, I can just sit there with my little donut with my kids and enjoy it. Or I can sit there with my little gummy packet and enjoy it. Like how, how do you get from there to there? Yeah, it really is. First of all, it's got to be personality driven, right? You have to look at kind of what the addiction level is. It's really interesting. I, I did another podcast yesterday and it was for a drug and alcohol dependent treatment center, right? So we were talking about the differences or really the similarities between alcohol addiction and that treatment and then looking at sugar addiction, things like that. So I think you have to kind of stop and take a look at, okay, what is my personality? If I have that donut on a Sunday morning, am I going to want to eat all the donuts? Am I going to want to keep eating sugar? If that's the case, if that's your personality, then you are more of a cold turkey type of person, right? You, you just got to give it up. But if you're someone who feels like, okay, I can adapt over time and I'm going to do that by allowing myself some of these indulgences, then that is something that you can learn to, to adapt to. But we, we can never forget the power, not only of all the things that are lighting up in our brain, so the neurological perspective, but the power of our taste buds. For a lot of people, when they take sugar off the taste buds, they lose that just kind of wanting it, craving it. But then when they put it right back on, they are right back on. Wow, that tasted like heaven. I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at sugar. I'm looking at what my kids are eating. And eventually I might fall to that. So I think we have to look at that as well. What's your personality? Not all of us have the personality where we can have the black forest gummy, which are delicious side notes, and just have that one and be like, oh, that was really good, right? Some of us are going to go full binge on it. So we have to kind of look at previous behavior and how that's going to impact our ability to add in these indulgences. And it is an indulgence, right? I mean, you know that there's no nutrient. Oh, yeah. This is a throwaway calorie type of situation. Zero. So, <laughs> right, exactly. And that's okay. That's okay, Right. But you have the ability to do that. A lot of people don't. So we have to kind of sit down and think, man, do I have the ability like Leanne did to take that gummy bear package and just have the package and be done with it? If the answer is yes, then that's fine. Keto flu, impossible fasting symptoms that stop you mid-fast, cravings at any hour of the day or feeling off after a sweaty workout, these are some of the signs that you're low in electrolytes. When I first started keto, I made all of the mistakes. One of the biggest ones was not supplementing with electrolytes. And still, seven years into keto, I often forget how essential electrolytes are. Honestly, it's easy to forget to take electrolytes because, well, a lot of them don't taste very good or work very well. Enter 
Mr. Element, the most delicious, well-balanced electrolyte powder I've personally tried, like ever. Add to water and enjoy any time of day. These electrolytes are salty, as they should be, quenching your thirst and hitting the spot. And the best part, when you head to drinklmnt.com slash KDP, you'll receive a free Element sample pack. You only pay $5 for shipping. The sample pack includes eight packets of Element that includes two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash KDP for your free sample pack. I love Element and I really think you're going to too. Again, that's drinkelement.com forward slash KDP to get your free sample pack. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5, no questions asked. And earlier we're talking about environment and the people around us. How does that influence if somebody's saying, I am not the type of person who can have that one gummy package or that one donut and walk away from it and not get crazy and not work out for the next three days, wishing I never had it. How do they then communicate these needs and requirements to their family, significant ones who are in the house, who want the Oreos, who have the things like, how do you even navigate that in the home? Yeah. Well, I think it's a family meeting, just like we can have family meetings on finances and behavior and things like that. I think that's a really important perspective. I think if you are the head of the household, so if, you know, for me, I'm a mom, so I am really the person in charge of buying food and my bias comes through when I go and grocery shop, right? I mean, I became a dietitian because I was an obese child and part of my obesity was stemmed from Little Debbie products. You'll never see a Little Debbie product in my house. You'll see other stuff that's not as good all the time, right? but I'm going to control that. So part of it is having a discussion with family members and not putting it in the sense of like, oh gosh, I really love that. Don't have it. But you know what, guys, I really want to be able to get on the floor and play with your children one day. I want to be there as a grandparent. If I indulge in these foods, don't make it about weight, make it about longevity and health. I'm much more likely to get type two diabetes. I'm much more likely to leave this earth early So please, like I'm begging you for my health, try and either keep it out of the house or hide it from me. One of the two, right? That's how you'll show support for me. I don't care if you have it, but go have it someplace else. Yes. I have a client who did that about a year ago and she has teenage kids and I think they're even in their twenties now. And she just said, I don't care if you have it, but if you're going to do it, have it out there and come home and I don't need to know about it. And that was so... Once she communicated that, her children completely understood and they've respected it for a year and it has been night and day in her home. And so I can, it's incredible. I think a lot of people are worried about how it will come across. And I think the way that you described it, Kristen, was really good and communicating clearly. Now, as we move forward and, and kind of understanding, we were talking about tracking, we were talking about addiction and sugar addiction. How can tracking encourage us on this path toward healthier living, not eating all the sugar? How can we use things like Biosense or continuous glucose monitors to keep ourselves looking forward? Yeah. Well, I think in some ways it can really tap into the, the, the basic human behavior of seeing a result directly coming from an action. Right. So I think that's kind of number one as humans, we are very motivated to do something. So like have a keto friendly meal. All right. 
maybe then have multiple keto friendly meals or multiple days of fasting, right? I mean, we can get into ketosis through fasting as well. I love fasting. Um, so that's another motivating factor and then see, okay, here's, here's my ACEs. Here's what I am. Like, here's what my breath is indicating to me. I'm going to look at everything that I did yesterday, the day before, and try and figure out, is there a dietary relation? If there's not a dietary relation, am I not sleeping well? Am I not managing stress and I'm throwing off way too much cortisol and my body's in overdrive, right? So what is going on that's making these numbers really get to where they are? So that's kind of one perspective. And the other perspective is, man, I'm doing awesome. I'm going to continue on with this. It's, it's, I, always, I often tell my patients, like everyone says, oh, don't become obsessive about food. And I agree with that, but it's okay to become obsessive about your numbers if it keeps you within your motivating factors to continue a healthy habit. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think if you are like, well, maybe I'll just have some XYZ, you may not notice right away what that XYZ is doing. But the right. minute you are a CGM or you're testing your breath for ketones, you're like, oh, wow, that made a big impact right away. And then you start to notice these little patterns. Like I know that when I start to get just a little bit hungry, I know that my glucose is decreasing. Yep. And so if I let that go on too long, it's not going to be good for me. And so I learned that by wearing a CGM. I didn't feel that before. I didn't notice. And so you can start to pick up on those physical cues. When you, once you know what to look for, would you agree with that? Totally agree with that. And I think it's such a good example that you just gave Liam, because that's a great example of, okay, you caught it early. Most people don't though. So most people will wait till their glucose levels are in the tank. And that's the moment where it's just kind of like, I don't care what's in front of me. I'm going to eat it. Right. Because the body, I, I always say, like I say to my patients, usually on day one, oh, you know, when they're like, oh, really, I'm going to go on the keto diet and they're going to, I'm going to do all that. I'm always like, guess what? Your body doesn't care about your plans. So all your body cares about is survival. That is the goal of your body. It doesn't care that you want to get into a size six jeans. It doesn't care that you need to get into your wedding dress, could care less. It cares for you to keep alive. And that's all it cares about. So from that perspective, it's like, Yes, we can get to the point where our body eventually gets to the point where it's like, there's no more glucose left. What do I do? I got to look for a different source of fuel, right? And then we go into fat burning and, and all of that, right? But your body's going to fight you every step of the way. And getting your blood sugar way too low when you know you're not ready to tap into fat stores is a recipe for disaster because the body and your mind is in survival mode. And for me, survival mode is going to be the donut, the gummy bear, like, I just got to get my blood sugar up because I feel at this moment like I am going to die, right? Because that's how we feel when our blood sugar is way too low and even worse for people with insulin resistance. So I think we always have to, as boring as it sounds, keep in mind human physiology and the ultimate goal of our body. And that is survival. Kristen, you are so good at answering questions. Let yeah. me just say like, <laughs> yes, yes, completely without a doubt, a hundred percent. Yes. Now, as we move forward with our wearing our monitors and learning more about our body, how can the ketogenic diet specifically regulating our glucose, all those things help us move forward with sugar addiction or issues with food? Like what's happening in the body and how, how does it work? And is it helping? Yeah, it's definitely helping. Uh, you know, I will tell you, Leanne, as a, as a dietitian, especially one trained at the Cleveland Clinic, I, I often say that I never give opinion. I give interpretation of data. So I'm very evidence-based. And I would never recommend something that doesn't have a lot of evidence. Just last week, 
I do some work for Quest and Atkins as well, which I really think are you know great products that we have for helping with keto. And I did a presentation with their team to about 3,000 health practitioners on just the science of the benefits of low-carb diets, ketogenic diets, things of that nature. And it really is very robust. I think from the first perspective is when we go low-carb, we do have a reduction in a lot of things like cravings and appetite. So that's number one. The second thing is when we compare low-carb protocols to low-fat protocols, we know that adherence is more likely to occur with a low-carb protocol. So in addition to all of those things, we also know that when you're in a state of ketosis, we have neurological benefits, we have cardiometabolic benefits, and of course, we have weight loss benefits. So I think that in some ways, the keto diet has gotten a bad rap in some populations. I speak with dietitians all the time, and they're like, how can you promote that diet, Right. And I think it's because they don't really understand some of the benefits, number one, but also the fact that truly a ketogenic diet is not like, okay, what you're going to eat is bacon and a steak and that's it, right? Like, no, that's not what keto is. So I think if you look at the, the real hardcore science behind it and really look at what are the things that you can do to get into ketosis... It doesn't mean you have to go into some of these foods that we know are also associated with increases in heart disease and things like that. We don't have to go that route. So I think that the benefits are clear and the benefits keep coming out. We have continual trials, clinical trials showing some of these benefits. And, and truly, I think you can take any dietary pattern, Mediterranean, MIND, uh, DASH diets, anything that we know is very heart healthy and alter it to a way that can be more low carb. And that leads perfectly into my next question, which was how does one that wants to take more of a plant-based route do kind of a keto low carb thing? Do you think that that's helpful? Is it for everybody? Tell me everything. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's more challenging for sure, right? It's much easier to say, I'm going to wake up and eat bacon for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then for dessert, I'm going to have cheese. Of course, that's easy, right? And you don't have to think about it. So a plant-based option is a little bit more difficult, but definitely not something that you absolutely can't do. I have a handful of patients that are low carb. They're, you know, I'm 45 years old. They're 45 years old and up. And a low carb approach is much easier for them, but they just can't do all the saturated fat. They're like, don't, please don't tell me to like put coconut oil on anything. I can't do it. Right. So I think the key is looking at some of the new data. There was a new study that came out in nature a few months ago that showed that moderate carb approaches could still keep people in lower levels of ketosis. So I think if you're thinking about weight loss from that perspective, and you go back to, let's say tracking those ACEs five and above is what you're looking for. You don't have to be at 20. So if I'm telling you five is what we're going to go into weight loss benefits, approaches, benefit, things like that, then we can start looking at what can you add in that you couldn't before. And number one is going to be fiber. So from a plant-based approach, I really like that plants have more of an option for the fiber. You can load up on cruciferous vegetables. You can load up on insoluble fiber through having more nuts and seeds, right? Those are very easy things to do. And why is that important? Because fiber is a huge determinant of microbial diversity and a good microbiota. We know that the microbiota is like probably one of the most important factors outside of the brain to send messages and help to dictate health. So getting some of those other things is really critical. And then if you're thinking about fats, things like that, 
Of course, you can go with olive oil. You can go with avocado oil. You can go with some coconut oil. As you probably know from a nutrigenomics perspective, some individuals that have too much coconut oil, their LDL will go up. So will their HDL, but their LDL will go up, right? And they might not be able to lose weight on keto, just like your client who said, I can't lose weight on keto. I guarantee you there is some genetic variation going on that's preventing that from happening. So I think from the plant-based approach, we just need to think, okay, I'm going to eat Mediterranean, but I'm going to cut the grains by about 80%, right? And if I do have a grain of any kind, which is going to be limited, especially if you're going to keep you know, limited carb, it's going to be an intact grain. So an intact grain is a grain that hasn't been altered in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not going to have a piece of bread. I'm going to have a small amount of quinoa. Or I'm going to look at the net carb approach. Instead of having whole wheat pasta, which actually is a very high carb approach, I'm going to have bean-based pasta. A lot of the black bean pastas on the market, the net carb content is about three to four grams. So it actually comes down considerably. And then I'm going to add in pesto, which is plants. So you can do it, but oftentimes you need someone to kind of coach you on how to do it. And, and I think that coaching and that counseling is really imperative. Yes, completely. And if anyone's like bean pasta, pesto with black bean pasta is so good. So good. <laughs> So good. And the other thing is I, um, I mean, I'm like pesto crazy. Like I make pesto with like pecans and walnuts. You can make it with macadamia nuts. If you want to get a little bit, you know, more of the fat content and things like people love macadamia nuts on keto. So there's so many options to do it. And really at the end of the day, you are completely plant-based, right? You're not adding in any carbs. I think it's a good opportunity as we say this though, that like there is something called carb creep where you're like, oh, I'm on keto. So portions don't count anymore, right? They still do count because we can have too much of something that's very low carb. And then we get knocked out of ketosis because your body is like, sweet. That person just had the entire bag of keto snack mix. And now I got, I got a little bit more glucose left. I'm going to tap back into that. I don't want to be in ketosis, survival, survival, survival. I don't like ketosis, right? Body doesn't like it. So I think that we also have to look at that and not that we count calories by any means, but I always tell my patients, this is so hard to do. You need to eat until you're no longer hungry and not till you're full, right? Don't eat to fullness. Fullness means you've overfueled. So you got to eat until you no longer feel that signal of hunger and then say, I am done. That's really hard. But if you master that, you can master so much with diet. It is so very hard. And sometimes I screw up on it. So, like, I know that I'm going beyond and I'm like, nah, I don't even care. But <laughs> it, it's so challenging because it's right in front of you. And you're like, why would I put that away? It's only a little bit. I may as well just finish it. <laughs> well, and not only that, it's right in front of you, but food tastes good. Yeah. Like the black bean pasta with the pesto is just like, yeah, it's very normal to want to be like, I can have another bowl of that. There's no carbs. Right. Exactly. Um, so it, it, you know, it tastes good. It tastes really good. And so it's just, sometimes we're, we're think too complex about like, Oh my God, why did I overeat? Was I distracted? Was I stressed? And sometimes it's just like, no, because that meal tastes really fabulous. That's why you overeat, right? That's normal. That's normal. Ex I mean, the, exactly. The only environment in which we don't overeat is when we're infants. Infants have it down pat. They stop eating or stop drinking milk when they're full. I'm done. I feel, I don't feel hunger anymore. 
I'm off the nipple. Mm, exactly. Only and infants do that. There was something that you said that our body doesn't like the ketogenic diet or doesn't like being in a ketogenic state. Does that change over time? Or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Cause I'm sure somebody heard that and was like, wait, what? <laughs> well, when I say it doesn't like it, I mean, it doesn't prefer it. So the body's number one preferred fuel is glucose. And despite every dietary factor that we want to try, it will always do everything in its power to get glucose as the fuel. It does not want to burn fat. It's not what it prefers. So there's a lot of mechanisms that will go on with ketogenic diets where people need to be aware of it. Carb creep is one of them, right? If your body senses that you'll give it a little bit of glucose, it's going to grab it, right? Like she's thinking rationally again. Thank you for the glucose, right? Or if you have an excessive amount of protein, then what happens is the body will kind of, you know, go knock on the door of the liver and be like, hey, you're, you're pretty cool. Can you take this protein and change it into glucose? Because I'm dying for the glucose and she's not giving it to me. And that's a process called gluconeogenesis. It's another survival process. The liver can take amino acids from protein and turn it into glucose. Pretty amazing. But it only happens when you have really excess amounts of protein. You're not looking at protein. Most keto protocols are about 20% protein or less. So about moderate, right? But that's what I mean is that your body always wants the glucose, despite the fact that you don't. So if you give any opportunity for your body to get that glucose, it's going to take it. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Okay, that clarifies so much more. And I want to chat a little bit about your book. You said that you were writing another one. Tell us what it is, what your first one was and where people can find out more from you. Yeah, so my first one was called Skinny Liver. I think I'm the only dietitian that wrote a book on the liver because it's my favorite organ. But so that was the first book. And there's a lot of different dietary protocol. And, you know, all I can say about the second book is that I'm really looking at some of these, some of the studies that look at non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which by the way, Leanne, affects one in four individuals. I mean, I think a lot of people that are walking around on this earth have it and don't know it. Very similar to type two diabetes. There are some really interesting studies looking at low-carb approaches and using that as kind of a, one of the therapeutic methods of treating NAFLD. We currently don't have really any pharmacological standards with it. It's not new, but it's new to us because now it's exploding. I mean, we're seeing kids with it. So I think that's really what I want to focus on is like, how can we take some of these new scientific approaches and turn them into you know, just giving a little bit more guidance for people that have NAFLD. And I know you, you must love the liver too, right? It's everyone's favorite. <laughs> I love the liver. I'm obsessed with it right now. My do. mom is going through <laughs> chelation therapy. She has a lot of health issues right now. And it's been so fascinating to dig in to liver function as it relates to chelation and heavy metals and how it conjugates, how it like just... I'm obsessed with the liver too. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I think like people don't really realize, like we we're like, we're like, oh yeah, I know my gut, my heart and my brain. And those are like my big players, but just like, it's like no one, like but people are like the liver. Oh, I just need that for alcohol. Right. Like when I have a drink, it gets it out. It's just like, oh my God, you have no idea what this organ does. 
I mean, it regenerates. It's the only organ that can regenerate itself. Like it can build itself. Like I can't. It's amazing. But I remember like when I was writing my first book and people would be like, so exciting. What are you writing it on? And I'm like, oh, I'm writing it on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And they'd be like, Oh, right. Great. I'll totally read it. Yeah. I hope it sells. Yeah. And it did. It was bestseller, but you know, I think it's because of the fact that we, we don't recognize it, that we completely beat it up and abuse it. And to your comments about your mom and chelation therapy, like we also don't realize, like we go through all these different like pills and potions and powders to like detox. And yet we abuse our detox organ. So I think like we have to keep in mind. And I, again, that's another reason why I really love low carb protocols because there is some really strong data now looking at, you know, how it can affect liver health, which is something, again, we need to open our eyes to, but we're, we're too laser focused on all the other trends in this industry that distract us from the real work. We should definitely have you back to talk about the liver because it is my love of all loves. <laughs> I will talk about the liver any day with you. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Where can people connect with you, your website, your Instagram, all those details? Yeah. So my name is my website, Kristen spelled with an I, kristenkirkpatrick.com. And then my Instagram handle is instead of feel well with Chrissy, it's fuel well with Chrissy. Again, that gets into another incidence of uh, looking at the science of nutritional psychiatry that when we eat better, we feel better. And we have plenty of data to show that when we eat like crap, we feel like crap. So fuel well with Chrissy is my Instagram handle as well. That's great. And I'll include all the links in the show notes for those of you who don't know how to spell things. Just look for episode 346 on ketodietpodcast.com. Or if you are watching this YouTube video, you can click down below and there'll be links for Kristen's work. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. It was such an honor and a privilege. I love your work. And so I was just so excited when, when I got the invite. Thank you. I hope that you really benefited from the information that Kristen shared today. As always, if you have questions about today's show, you can reach out to me by going to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact and all the details to connect with Kristen are going to be down below. So check those out and I will see you next week for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.